Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 85. Today I'll be talking about the murder of Stephen Freeman. My sources for today's episode are 48 Hours, Season 33, Episode 55, CBS News, AJC.com, The Cinemaholic, and Medium.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. It's August 1st, 2018. I get a call from one of my investigators. Said we had a shooting victim on Sunnybrook Drive and it didn't look good. We actually had the perpetrator admitting to shooting the victim on the 911 call. Stephen Freeman was only 23 years old. Stephen grew up in Griffin, Georgia, and his mom, Jennifer, said he was always smiling and was adventurous. He always wanted to be outside and liked to hunt, camp, and fish. His girlfriend of seven years, Mary Catherine, was also very close to her family. Mary Catherine Higdon liked to be the entertainment and center of attention. Her parents said she could put on quite a show. Stephen and Mary Catherine started dating in high school and they became serious. Stephen worked on repairing roofs and Mary Catherine was a preschool teacher's aide. On August 1st, 2018, Stephen Freeman was shot by Mary Catherine at their home that they shared. Stephen was lying on a mattress in the living room and Mary Catherine was found standing over him. Mary Catherine was clearly distraught on the 911 call and as the police were talking to her, she claimed she didn't mean to shoot him and that she needed him to live. She claimed that her gun had gone off accidentally as she was handing it to him. She said Stephen liked to keep it next to their bed at night for protection. None of our guns that we've had around our house were ever, you know, chambered. There was never a bullet in the chamber. It was never my intention to ever injure him or kill him. Jennifer, Stephen's mom, was asked if she had spoken to Mary Catherine since then, and she said no, and that she doesn't believe the story makes any sense. Stephen's family treated Mary Catherine like their own. Like Mary Catherine? I did. I did. I loved her. She would eat at our house on Sunday night with my parents and our extended family, and we certainly considered Mary Catherine like a daughter. Mary Catherine also liked the outdoors, which surprised Stephen's good friends, but it won them over, too. They all had a passion for guns. Stephen owned a few shotguns and rifles, and Stephen's close friend said that Mary Catherine would brag that she knew more about the guns than they did. Mary Catherine eventually started to work at a store selling guns. Stephen's friend Thomas also worked there. Before you're able to sell a gun, you're trained and taught how to handle it, you know, like how to hand somebody a gun. Do you believe her when she says, I just held it up and it went off? No, no, not for a second. The gun that Mary Catherine had shot Stephen with was a Glock 380. The police said it was very unlikely that the gun would have just gone off, like she said. Mary Catherine claimed she just handed Stephen the gun, but Lieutenant Chris Wilson arrived at the scene and noticed that the house was in disarray. There was food everywhere, and it looked like the two of them had thrown the food at each other. He's claiming it's accidental discharge. Uh, but based on some of the evidence we've seen in the house while we were in there tending to him, uh, it looked like they'd been fighting. Mary Catherine was questioned down at the police station. 
She wasn't taken in handcuffs, and the police only said they wanted to ask her some questions. Neither Detective Adam Trammell or Lieutenant Chris Wilson believed her story. Mary Catherine was now saying that she tossed the gun to Stephen while he was in the living room, when before she said she handed it to him. Stephen had been shot below the neck, and Lieutenant Wilson lost his cool in the interrogation room. He said he wasn't buying the story, so he clapped his hands and told her to stop lying. He claimed that Mary Catherine said she killed him out of anger. Mary Catherine Higdon was arrested for murder, but the tape from the interrogation had a large noise that covered the supposed confession, so anything Mary Catherine said wasn't heard. Oh, what can we do? So at this point, all you've got to say what she said was what you two remember. And that's correct. Mary Catherine had claimed she never left a bullet in the chamber, but Detective Trammell said there was grease found on the chamber and magazine, and it suggested that the magazine was out at one point and put back in. Mary Catherine said that night she was cooking dinner for Stephen, and it was the food that was found on the floor. The police also questioned Stephen's friends, and they said that the relationship had turned toxic, and they put the blame mostly onto Mary Catherine. Eight, seven times out of ten, she'd yell, she was bitching at Stephen for something. Stephen would often walk out during an argument and block Mary Catherine's number from his phone. That's because she would call him obsessively, according to his co-worker, Elijah Varela. Some mornings, several different occasions, he would get to work, and before we even got to the first job, he had 30 missed calls from her. Like, she was just blowing him off the line. Stephen's friend said he was becoming afraid and that she had even pulled a gun on him before. On April 21st, 2018, just a few months before he was killed, Stephen texted a friend and he said, quote, MK is running around screaming at the top of her lungs outside, end quote. He also said she's trying to shoot me and herself. Stephen never reported this to the police. On July 30th, 2018, two days before his death, he texted Mary Catherine that he loved her and told her to have a good day but by the next day they were arguing. Stephen had told his mom that he wasn't gonna stay at the house that night. He stayed at a friend's house and ignored Mary Catherine's messages. The next day, Mary Catherine made dinner and Stephen wasn't answering his phone. Mary Catherine called him several times. A lot on that date, 9, 10, 9, 12, 9, 17, 9, 23, yes. 9, 29, 9, 38. Mm -hmm. why, why so many times? I guess, cause it is like irritating. I need to know if I need to just, you know, make me a dinner i'm trying to wait to eat with you it's just one answer are you coming home yes or no mary catherine had even texted jennifer and jennifer had told her that stephen was at his friend's house jennifer now says she has guilt about telling her where stephen was but that's not her fault stephen was driving home with his friend thomas skinner and less than two hours later stephen was dead he comes out of nowhere riding our tail like right on our bumper and she pulled up beside my truck, like right beside Stephen, rolled her window down, and she started yelling at him. Mary Catherine's defense eventually said that Stephen also had a side to him that he didn't let people see. Mary Catherine denied ever pointing a gun at Stephen before the night he died. Mary Catherine had threatened to kill herself before, and Jennifer said it was just because she would threaten to do it if Stephen wouldn't come home. By July 2018, Stephen was making plans to move to a new town with his friend, Thomas. Stephen's plans were to move out while Mary Catherine was at work. The prosecution said that Mary Catherine changed or added to her story 10 different times. Mary Catherine's first story was that she had been grabbing the gun and bringing it to their bedroom. 
When the police arrived on the scene, she changed it to she was handing him the gun, and then she said she tossed it. You first told them mm-hmm. it was not true. Yes, I knew that. Obviously, it was a lie, but I just, I guess I was just scared. Mary Catherine eventually said that Stephen had lunged at her, and she said she was embarrassed to admit that Stephen had a history of violence. Stephen ever hit you? Yes. Not so much like where it was like physical, like punches or anything, just like grabs there. There was one time where, you know, he smacked me across the face. A lot of times um, he just kind of, you know, like, like popped me on the back of my head. Stephen's friends claim Mary Catherine was the abusive one, and Mary Catherine's sister Sarah said she had seen bruises on her sister just weeks before the murder. On the sheet that Stephen had been on, the blood evidence suggested that Stephen was in one area and had never moved, so the lunging story didn't add up. Mary Catherine's defense said that Stephen could have been getting up to go after her. They said Mary Catherine blamed herself and thought it was her fault. The defense found evidence that Stephen had sent angry text messages to Mary Catherine. They said they went through about 63 pages of angry messages. Stephen had discovered that Mary Catherine had slept with his friend while they were broken up, and there was a photo of him with a dead fish and the caption that read, quote, this is you, bitch, end quote. On June 17, 2019, the trial began. The prosecution said the physical evidence and text messages from Mary Catherine were the strongest evidence. Also, there was no one else in the house besides her and Stephen that night. They said Mary Catherine killed Stephen in anger after he didn't come home for dinner and ignored her messages and calls. The police interrogation video was inaudible, which hurt the prosecution. Yes, that's how do you mess up the confession, Um, especially when it's such a powerful confession. On the body cam footage, the police also openly talked about how they moved the gun at the scene. Yes. Gun is in an evidence bag because we secured it when we made entry. First responders moved the gun found next to Stephen Freeman, claiming they feared that Mary Catherine was reaching for it. We didn't take pictures of it before we removed it. Before we moved it. Alright. As a prosecutor. When you heard the cops say, we moved the gun, we moved it for safety reasons, why did that bother you? Because you could just as easily have moved her for safety reasons. Mary Catherine took the stand at her trial and talked about the abuse that she endured at the hands of Stephen. The whole truth shall be done. Yes. When it was good, it was good. But when it was bad, it was bad. Mary Catherine tearfully paints a portrait of Stephen as an abusive and controlling boyfriend. And he'd expect, you know, his clothes all ready and folded and his shoes where it needed to be. He'd want me to make sure his shower was started for him. In one message, Stephen wrote, quote, the more you talk, the more you get punished when I get home, end quote. In messages, Stephen also told Mary Catherine that she'd be going to the Red Room. What is the Red Room? Um, it's like one of those, I guess, sex rooms off of Fifty Shades of Grey. But it was just when like, we would bring out like these certain things that we had bought. What would happen in the Red Room? Um, he'd just tie me up and hit me. Mary Catherine claimed that on two occasions he raped her. She said she, said she begged him for him to stop, but he it hurt. The prosecution said it was disgusting and that she had never told anyone that he raped her. 
I mean, a lot of women don't report abuse. So, yes, it's disgusting that Stephen is dead. And if he didn't rape her, she's tarnishing his name. But we never know what happened behind closed doors. Now, Mary Catherine also said that Stephen became angry on the night of his death because she wanted to end the relationship. In the closing arguments, the prosecutor, Kate Leonard, reminded the jury about Mary Catherine's changing stories. Gun was tampered. It was an accident. I tossed it. I don't know what happened. I was scared. I was angry. But she did not tell them that she was abused. And the prosecutor does not believe she was. When your abuser is out of the house and you are safe, are you as a victim of domestic violence going to track down your abuser where he is with his friends? Are you going to go and track him down? The defense focused on Stephen's abuse and used a jack-in-the-box as a metaphor. Those were his words. The more you do this, the more you're going to get punished. Granums brings up those ugly texts that Stephen sent Mary Catherine a year prior. That torrent of demeaning hatred texts is probably the worst tirade that I've ever seen. Two of the jurors felt pressure to make a decision. The first vote was tended to for a guilty verdict, but the jurors were concerned about the investigation because of the audio equipment and why the police had moved the gun. The police had unlocked Mary Catherine's phone to look for evidence, but not Stevens. The jurors didn't have issues with Mary Catherine's stories. They claimed that they probably would be afraid to if they were being arrested for murder. Jury find as follows. Count one, malice murder. We find the defendant not guilty. Count two, felony murder. We find the defendant not guilty. Two hours after the verdict, Mary Catherine was a free woman and Jennifer was angry. Do you feel any guilt? Because I love Stephen. And I never meant that to ever happen to him. Jennifer now raises awareness for domestic violence. I can understand where the jury is coming from. The police audio and the fact that they moved the gun can be seen as botching the investigation. I think Mary Catherine got very lucky. If it hadn't been for these mistakes by the police, she probably would be in jail. I don't know whether I think this was an accident. I think Mary Catherine was fed up with the relationship and the two of them were toxic and fought. Sadly, Stephen was the one who was killed, but I'd like to know what you think about this case. My book recommendation for this week is Don't Open the Door by Alison Brennan. A family torn apart, a botched investigation, she'll stop at nothing to get answers. U.S. Marshal Regan Merritt never bought the FBI's theory that her 10-year-old son's murder was tied to her job. Yet, as leads went cold, she'd have to walk away from the marshals, the case, and now her ex-husband Grant, who blamed her for Chase's death. After Reagan receives a chilling voicemail from her former boss, Tommy, claiming new information about Chase's murder, she can no longer stay away from her pain-filled past, especially when Tommy is murdered before she can return his call. Now more than ever, Reagan's determined to find the truth, but the more she digs, the more evidence points to Grant as the killer's true target. But Grant isn't talking. As she tries to pin down her ex, Regan discovers something much bigger and far more sinister at play. And she's running out of people she can trust. A young boy Chase is killed and his mother's, his mother and dad's marriage falls apart. Grant blames Regan for Chase's death and her life falls apart as well. 
But will Reagan finally get the answer she's been searching for and finally prove to her husband that she isn't responsible? I give this book an 8 out of 10. Please let me know what you think about this case. Do you think Mary Catherine got away with murder? Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, email me at itscrimeoclocksummer at gmail.com, buy me a coffee, and leave me a five-star rating and review. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.